Hi, and welcome to another podcast from The Human Diver, where we are looking to apply counter-errorism techniques in diving. By that we mean human factors and non-technical skills. Our goal is to give you the knowledge and skills so that your dives are safer and more enjoyable. The podcast is a mixture of short podcasts based on the blogs we have, and longer podcasts, which will be interviews or discussion topics. Show notes will be provided so you can dig deeper if you want. Ready to jump in? A recent discussion about risk management in a remote diving location where a diver had suspected decompression illness is the prompt for this blog. While it was prompted by a remote location, the principles are applicable to all the diving we do. The first part of risk management is understanding and recognizing the hazard. Fundamentally, we are diving in a hazardous environment where we will die within a minute or two if we don't have mechanical or technical support. I know breath hold divers can spend much longer underwater without support, but they are not the norm. The hazards we face are those things that cause harm to us. Hypoxia, hyperoxia, hypercapnia, decompression illness, pulmonary barotrauma, hypothermia, hypothermia, physical trauma, and excessive blood loss. As divers, none of these should come as a surprise. The outcome for all of these could be death given the right circumstances to trigger the event and without mitigations to stop the situation from developing to a fatal outcome. Think of a situation flowing from left to right. Prevention or controls are on the left, the hazard is in the middle, and mitigations are on the right. The goal is to drive the probability of the event to as close to zero as possible, but we are never going to get there. So assume the probability of the risk is one, and work out how to fail safely. The traditional way of dealing with risks is via the four T's. These are treat, transfer, tolerate, and terminate. The rest of the blog will explain how these relate to diving and what we can do to manage risk. Before we go there, we need to recognize that diving has an inherent and irreducible risk of injury or death. The risk can never be zero. There are just too many variables involved, physiologically, environmentally, physically, technically, or socially. The only way to get to zero harm is not to go diving. At the same time, risks can also lead to rewards. Wreck exploration, cave exploration, seeing a reef for the first time, being with friends, underwater photography or photogrammetry, and many other positives. Whenever we go diving, or life in general, we are always trading perceived risk and uncertainty for perceived benefit. Unfortunately, as humans, we are not very good at making decisions surrounding uncertainty or risk. There is a great blog on the Human Diver website explaining this in more detail. Link in the show notes, the four T's treat. Over the years, our knowledge of the failures that can lead to a risk materializing has improved. We have developed better training programs to give divers and instructors the skills to manage their buoyancy and ascent and descent rates, propulsion, trim, and equipment usage, including emergency drills. Quality management programs should manage the inherent drift from standards. We have a better understanding of gas dynamics and decompression theory, although it is still more of an art than a science. We have a better understanding of thermal issues, so have developed more effective thermal protection measures. Dive operators like Dirty Dozen Expeditions and Lust for Rust recognize the fallibility of individuals, and so are providing peer-checking processes before divers enter the water and recommending the use of pre-dive checklists. This is no different to scientific diving, commercial diving, or military diving operations, and the role of a diving safety officer. The role of human factors in diving operations is starting to be better recognized, and so programs like that offered by the human diver are treating the risk of failures within a socio-technical system. People, technology, environment, and social setting transfer.
The diving industry has three main ways of transferring the risk from the organizational level to the individual level, insurance, waivers, and dive safety briefings. Risk transfer is about isolating one entity, e.g. instructor, agency, dive center, or expedition operator within the system from the risks that might be realized. These risks aren't just related to harm, but also include financial or reputational risks. Insurance, if an adverse event occurs, there will be some financial impact or loss. Personal or professional liability or medical treatment insurance provides a means by which the loss can be recovered in financial terms. But that risk transfer has a limit. You cannot bring a dead person back to life. Waivers. The purpose of a liability waiver is to formally document that you as a diver recognized and accepted the risks that are present when diving before you went diving. The problem is that most, an assumption on my part, don't read all of the lines in a waiver, I know I don't read them all, because of a number of factors. We trust the organization we are contracting with, we haven't heard of things going wrong, therefore it must be okay system one and system two behaviors and the want or need to be cognitively efficient a positive spin on being lazy. Safety briefings. The purpose of these is twofold. One, to give you the information to manage certain situations on your own e.g. abandoning a boat when it sinks and where the emergency equipment is. The second is to inform you in an interactive manner so that you are aware of the risks involved and what to do when they materialize. The operator cannot actively manage all the risks themselves and therefore requires you as a diver or team member to be part of the risk management system. And for that to happen, you have to know what the risks are and what to do with them. Tolerate. As stated above, there is an irreducible risk on any dive, be that a shallow five to 10 meter reef dive in clear warm water or a 100 meter wreck dive in cold dark waters where the decompression overhead is four to five hours. That level of tolerable or acceptable risk is down to the diver, the dive team, and in some cases the dive center, the dive operator, the boat captain, the expedition leader, or the training agency, if it is a training dive. When it comes to risk tolerance above the individual level, organizations are not just considering personal, physiological, and psychosocial risks, but also financial and reputational risks. Terminate. Anyone can thumb a dive at any time for any reason, and that includes being on the surface. This isn't just a technical or cave diver saying it applies to all divers, irrespective of experience or domain. The dive location or target are likely to be there on another day. Don't get fixated on the dive, even when there are huge sunk costs. Terminating the dive isn't just the responsibility and action of the individual divers involved. On an expedition or liverboard, the expedition leader or boat captain are also managing risks above an individual's level, e.g. the ability to get a diver back on the boat if the weather is marginal, if a potential risk escalates into one which compromises the whole operation and so the whole team is impacted, and not just one person, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. They are also managing financial and reputational risks. These four T's don't just exist in isolation, they are interdependent e.g. by preparing and bringing the right equipment and ensuring the qualification and competence are at a high level. The tolerable level risk is likely to be higher because the team can fail safely without a catastrophic outcome. Medical cover is a classic example of treating what you can, transferring to an insurance company what you can't treat, tolerating the remaining risk at a level acceptable to the team and their wallets, and if things look bad, terminating the operation. However, there are several biases that can influence the tolerable level of risk or uncertainty we face. 
There are more blogs on the Human Diver website, again, link in the show notes. So what? To bring this theory to life, the following section looks at a remote diving location scenario and how risk is managed at multiple levels and highlights why there isn't a simple black and white answer to managing risk in diving. As with many complex scenarios, context matters, and while in hindsight clarity is obvious, in real time things can be fuzzy and grey. You might also think that this is different to a simple shore-based operation or a liverboard where there is easy access to a hyperbaric chamber via search and rescue services, and you'd be right. Risk management is context, location, and task specific, and your controls and mitigations are based on what is acceptable in terms of outcome and how much you want to spend on controlling or mitigating the risk. Scenario. An expedition is taking place in a remote location, 18 to 20 hours away from the nearest chamber. The maximum diving depth beyond 150 meters. The visibility is 10 to 20 meters, and the water temperatures are 15 to 20 degrees Celsius. Rebreathers will be used for the diving. Treat. Ensure team members are aware of the remote location and the need to reduce risk exposure where possible. Consideration of a portable hyperbaric chamber plus medic and operator, but this has a cost and can lead to space issues on the boat. Validate that divers are current and competent for the expected dives. Provide full medical support to the limits of team members and their wallets. Use technology like EPIRBs to deal with lost divers on the surface. Validate emergency response plans on arrival at the operating location. Provision and briefing of standard operating procedures, which standardize many protocols, e.g. gas analysis and emergency responses. Provision of surface support, including peer checking checklists to minimize or trap pre-dive issues, which have been proven to trap misconfigured equipment before the diver enters the water. Post-emergency response, one thing not often considered is if the risk does materialize, what is your media response plan? Following the recent sinking of the Carlton Queen in the Red Sea, the organization appears to have been slow to respond on social media. Having a series of contingency plans, including media interaction, is essential so that you aren't trying to deal with the external pressures and resolve the internal issues at the same time, you'll run out of mental capacity and drop the ball which might have catastrophic commercial and reputational implications. Transfer, use of travel insurance by the diving team in case of medical issues or travel limitations, level of cover down to the diving team members. Like gambling, only bet what you can afford to lose. Liability insurance for the operator, safety briefings on arrival and prior to each day's diving, remote medical advice via insurer or medical provider. Work with a media manager prior to things going wrong. Remember, even if you've got travel and medical insurance as an individual, your medical provider doesn't have a teleport device to get you from the dive or incident location to the treatment location. Tolerate. This is difficult to define or discuss in general terms because it is at an individual, a team, or an organization level, and what is tolerable is in tension with the goals of the trip, the workload involved, and the finances involved. Terminate. Thumb the dive when things have exceeded the tolerable level. As has been stated many times on the Human Diver blogs, the line between tolerable and intolerable is easy to spot in hindsight, but in real time, with multiple competing goals and finite resources, and a huge number of cognitive biases like optimism bias and the sunk cost fallacy, this is hard to do. One thing to consider is that an organization, operator, captain, might end the dive or operation for what appears to be odd reasons, but they will be managing multiple risks, 
Many of them will be above your own want or need to dive. While you won't get the time back, you can get your money back if you've got your insurance sorted. Summary. This has been a brief overview of the four T's of risk management as it applies to diving. Risk management in diving often focuses on the liability aspects of risk by using waivers and the sometimes blind adherence to standards. Standards can facilitate safety, but do not create it. The problem is that the world is a messy place when it comes to managing risk and uncertainty. And so there needs to be a multi-layered approach to bring it to a tolerable level. One of the biases we have is the expectation that an operator is an operator. An expedition company is an expedition company, a liverboard is a liverboard, and a captain is a captain. But they are all different for a multitude of reasons, not least their perception and acceptance of risk. This blog should give you some ideas about the questions to ask your operator, instructor or captain to see how they manage risk on your behalf. At an organisational level, your instructor candidates, clients or students might have a level of risk acceptance that is not within your organisation's risk tolerance and therefore they add risk to your operation. I have no idea how to identify that prior which is commercially viable, but it is something that should be considered and built into your risk management plan. The risks faced by individuals can be different to those faced by instructors, boat captains and expedition leaders. What is an acceptable level to an individual on a diving expedition can be considered unacceptable to the boat captain or expedition leader. This is where teamwork comes to the fore, mutual accountability and working together towards a common goal or aim. That goal should be to have everyone back on the boat or shore without any harm having taken place, be that physical, physiological, or psychosocial. Diving should be fun and can be if the risks and uncertainties are proactively managed. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more about what was discussed in this episode, head over to the Human Diver website at thehumandiver.com where you will find details about our education programs, the If Only documentary, the book Under Pressure, and the many, many blogs we have published there. If you think others should listen and learn, consider sharing the link. Thank you.